He says all of this is going to happen. And notice that he says, before the day of the Lord comes. And if we back up there, uh, he'll, he'll mention that. Uh, I pour out my spirit on, uh, let me get back here to the right spot here. Last days, uh, on my spirit, on all flesh, before the, uh, there it is, verse 20. I was trying to catch it on the screen there. Before the day of the Lord comes. Now, what is it that he's talking about here? Joel, in his translation, or rather in his prophecy, and the way that it's translated in the Old Testament is the great and awesome day of the Lord. If we're reading from this particular translation, the English Standard Version, Acts, the great and magnificent day of the Lord. But what is it that he's talking about? All of this that, that he talks about is, that's going to happen, what is it that he's talking about in regard to the, to the day of the Lord? Okay, now, let's think about some things as we begin here. Number one, let's think about the fact that quite often in the New Testament in particular, this particular phrase speaks of the return of Christ or the judgment day, as sometimes we might think of it, uh, as being the great and notable or great and awesome or great and magnificent day of the Lord. In the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5, at verse number 2, Paul writes and says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, we understand, according to what Paul is writing there in its context, that he's talking about the end. We know that. And so uh, he, he uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, in relation to that. Peter does the same thing in the book of 2 Peter chapter 3, at verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so again, we have uh, uh, in 2 Peter in particular, uh, they were talking about the fact that the Lord had not come back yet. And uh, verse number 9, that's the passage that talks about the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. Okay, And then in verse number 10, you know, he, he begins at the beginning there, chapter 3, and we know that he's talking about the coming of the Lord, uh, the second coming and the end of time, if you will. And, and so we use those two to illustrate the fact that what uh, Peter says here on the day of uh, Pentecost, uh, he uses that same phrase, but it wasn't just him. He was quoting from Joel many, many uh, years before. Okay, And so is he talking about uh, the end of time, okay? Is he talking about the judgment day, the second coming of Christ in the things that Joel is prophesying? Now, while you're thinking about that, the day that's mentioned here, the Bible says, uh, before it would come uh, wonders and signs that would be associated in some way with it, Okay. And uh, so, now what are the signs, what are the things that he mentions here? Well, he says, uh, there will be, uh, show wonders in heaven above, signs on earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke, sun be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. When we look at those things, and in particular in verse number 20, 
where he talks about the sun turned to darkness, the moon to blood. Is that something that's literally going to happen? Is that, is that language literal language? Well, most likely not, because we can go back to the Old Testament. Now, remember what Peter is quoting. Where, where is he quoting from? Joel from the Old Testament. So if we want to go back and we want to try to get uh, a handle on some of the things that are being said, one of the best ways to do that is to go back to the Old Testament, right? And to see how phrases and things were used in the Old Testament. And and this particular kind of language was used uh, several times in the Old Testament But let's look at two occasions where it is used in the Old Testament. Okay? Go, somebody, I want you to read for us. Uh, I'm going to let you all have an opportunity tonight. Let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 13. Isaiah 13. And I want somebody to read verses 10 through 13. Isaiah 13 verses 10 through 13. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the crowd and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. Where did you say stuff? Uh, go through 13. Okay. I will make mortal man scarcer, yeah, scarcer than pure gold and mankind than the gold of over. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken from its place at the fury of the Lord. Fear of the Lord of hosts in the day of his burning anger. Okay. So we've got some very similar language there, don't we? Notice that he talks about the sun, the moon, and so forth. Uh, And uh, uh, he talks about uh, the sun not giving its light. He talks about the stars falling from heaven. uh, And, and, you know, the the different things that that are there. But who is he talking about? Is he talking about a literal thing that was going to happen? The answer to that is no, because in the book of Isaiah, chapter 13, verse number 1, we're told exactly who he's talking about and what he's talking about. Bert, if you still got chapter 13, go back to verse 1. The oracle concerning Babylon, Isaiah the son of Amos. So. All right, so he's talking about Babylon and the king of Babylon. And he says, this is what's going to happen. A lot of times when he talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars, he's talking about the political powers and things of that nature, that they would be disrupted, that things would, uh, uh, you know, would happen to them, may even be dead, killed, whatever. And so we know that this language is sometimes in the Old Testament used in a figurative way. All right, let's go to another one. Let's go to the book of... uh, of, uh, Ezekiel, and we'll just read verse number 7, chapter 32, verse number 7. Ezekiel 32, verse 7, for the sake of time tonight. Okay, somebody got it? When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make the stars dark. I will cover the 
All right, so we've got, again, very similar language that is being used. <clears throat> but was that a literal thing that was taking place that God would do? Uh, is it something that was going to actually appear? Well, no, we know that from history, but we also know who he was talking about here. If you go back in uh, Ezekiel chapter 32, if you go back to verse number 2, you'll find out who he's talking about here. Who is it that Ezekiel is writing about and, and promising the wrath of God upon? Egypt, okay, Egypt. And so the powers, the political powers and all of the things of Egypt, again, being referenced, the idea is that he shakes the entire earth, he shakes the entire heaven. Everything is shook up, if you will, when, when those powers of the world are taken away. Now, again, as we think about the New Testament and the fulfillment of what Joel is speaking about, we know that Peter says that, that what was happening on that day at least was the beginning uh, of what, uh, what uh, Joel had prophesied. And, and so was he again, was, was he taking sometimes figurative language in the Old Testament and making it literal? And the reason I'm asking that and the reason we're, we're, uh, uh, we stay on that, you know, a lot of times there are people in our religious world today who say, oh, here's some signs. This is what's going to happen. If you look up and that moon is dripping with blood, you know all of this stuff, you know, they, they make it literal. And, and, and I'm not sure that's what he's talking about here. Okay, so what is it that he, that he is possibly talking about? Let's go in the New Testament to some things that Jesus has to say. In Matthew 24, somebody read for us verses 27 through 29. Matthew 24, 27 through 29. Okay, what is Jesus talking about here? If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, the, the, the disciples and Jesus have just come out of the temple. They're leaving Jerusalem for the last time before uh, he's going to be crucified. And they take a look at the buildings that are there, the, build, the, the, the temple compound. And, and uh, the uh, apostles and the disciples who are with Jesus they make a comment about how magnificent they are. And Jesus says the day is coming when, when not one stone is going to be left on another. And it's going to be destroyed. Okay? So immediately in their mind, they're thinking it's got to be the end of time. Okay? But Jesus actually answers in, in the book of Matthew chapter 24 two distinct questions that they ask. And I'm not going to deal with that in great detail tonight. But I want us to understand that he addresses the matter of the stones being not being left one on the other in the first section, first part of, uh, of Matthew 24. And I think it's down about verse 36 where he actually begins talking about the coming of the Lord. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man. Okay? 
But the first section, the first part, is talking about when those stones would not be uh, left one upon another, the stones of the temple. And when would that be? When would that destruction, that kind of destruction happen? In AD 70, when the Roman army came against Jerusalem, they surrounded the city, and it was... If you noticed in the reading that we did tonight, that Michelle did tonight, you know, it talks about uh, immediately after that tribulation, the tribulation of those people being shut up in the city of Jerusalem and eating their own children and doing things of that nature. You know, it was, uh, Jesus said it would be the worst time that had been seen on earth from the beginning or ever would be. And so I can't even begin to imagine how bad it was when the Romans surrounded the city. But uh, he said when, when all of this happens, he said, what's going to happen? The sun, the moon, the stars, the heavens are going to be shaken. Luke's account of that is a little clearer. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he, he, deals, he also deals with the, with the same thing there. But it's very possible that what Joel is prophesying is the destruction of Jerusalem. When would the church come into being? When would the things that Peter, actually Peter says it's happening right then, okay? So it's going to, it's going to the law of Moses and everything pertaining to, the Jew, the, the, to Judaism was going to be replaced before it actually fell. And then even the Jewish leaders would be taken out, as it were. And so I, I tend to think that what, uh, what Joel is prophesying about has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem. And I'm going to point out some more things in just a moment as we go through, because you may have some questions. On the other hand, Brother J.W. McGarvey, in his commentary on Acts, one of the best commentaries on Acts that has ever been written, he argues that it, it, it is the end of time that is being spoken about here. And when asked or when he uh, discusses the concept of the signs that are being done, he simply observes that he said it would be done before that day. He didn't say that it was in association with that day. And so he and other uh, very, very uh, uh, scholarly, I guess you put it that way, uh, men uh, seem to think that it has to do with the, the day of the Lord, but they acknowledge that, hey, you know, the signs and the things could be, a, could be a, a problem when you take everything else that the New Testament has to say in regard to the coming of the Lord. But again, he makes the argument that he says it will happen before. He didn't say how long before it would happen, okay? And so <clears throat> either way, as we look at it, we have some things to talk about. Uh, again, I, I tend to take the position that he's talking about the, the destruction of Jerusalem, but, but even if you take that, um, you still have uh, some additional thoughts that you have to, that you have to deal with. Okay? Uh, for example, when he talks about the day of the Lord coming, he also talks about in verse 21 something else. And what is it? It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? Now, is this salvation, salvation from the destruction of Jerusalem, or is it salvation in general? 
Okay, and, and this is one of the reasons that, that Brother McGarvey uh, deals with it in the way that he does. But when we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, there are several things that we'll, that we'll deal with. But uh, I, want you to, I want you to go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. And let's look uh, at verse 13. Matthew 24, verse 13. Okay, so you've got some, some, some things in discussion, if you will, in that section on the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, talking about being saved there too, don't you? What's he talking about? Enduring to the end. Maintaining his faithfulness to the end, end evidently in regard to the destruction of the city itself. Look at Matthew 24, verse 22. Okay, so what what did Jesus say when uh, when they when they heard when they saw the the, uh, the the coming army? I'll just put it that way. The, uh, the uh, I can't think something desolation. The uh, forgot the exact words. Old King James version. Abomination. Abomination of desolation. There you go. When they saw that coming, what were they to do? Run for the hills. They were to flee. Okay which meant they were to get out of the city. And so some of the other things that he said, pray not that it's on the Sabbath day. Why? Because if they saw him coming on the Sabbath day, what, would be, what, would, what problem would there be? Gates of the city would be closed and they couldn't get out. Okay, and so you've got, you've got all that. But, the, but the, those who listened to Jesus... They had the opportunity to get away from Jerusalem, and many of them did, according to Josephus and, and other historians. They did flee the city. They got out. And so they, they themselves were saved from the, from the destruction. Okay? But if you, take, uh, if you take what Joel says to refer to that, then perhaps some of this language that Jesus is using uh, could be... Uh, directed toward the idea, the, the calling on the name of the Lord, uh, listening to Him, being obedient to Him, and so forth. But even, even with that, it does not mean if you take the destruction that is spoken of itself in verse 20, uh, uh, verse 20 to be the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, Verse 22, or uh, 21 rather, uh, can still not only refer to, to the destruction, but also to salvation in general. It can, it can go farther. And again, we know that kind of language is used even later on in the Scriptures. Okay? And so that brings us then to uh, when he says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved. Uh, what does that mean? Now, in general, in the religious world today, their belief is that if one calls on the name of the Lord by saying the sinner's prayer, then you've called on the name of the Lord. And from that point on, you're saved in the sight of 
many religious bodies today, uh, there's nothing you can do to be lost from that point on, especially those who follow after Calvinism. Uh, but for those who've called on the name of the Lord, they just simply called on His name. We were li- watching a movie last night. What was the name of that movie? Uh, Courageous. Is that what it's called? Overcomer. Overcomers or something like that. One of the uh, Kendrick Brothers movies. And they did pretty good in there until they got to the part where this woman was talking to one of her students about uh, about being saved. And uh, she wanted to, to say the prayer and have the girl repeat it. You know, to, to come into her heart and do all that, that kind of stuff. But that's what people, that's what people will, uh, will associate with calling on the name of the Lord. But we have a problem, don't we? What does Matthew 7, 21 say? Not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will be saved. Yeah, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to be saved. Now, what did, what did this passage say? Now you got a you got a contradiction there, don't you? If if simply saying Lord, Lord is what saves us, okay. So you've got a contradiction. That there are no contradictions in the Bible, okay. And so so we've got that we have that problem that that confronts us. Again, the calling on the name of the Lord equals the salvation that we have here in verse twenty one. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Uh, To call on the name of the Lord is to be saved. Uh, We can leave out the words everyone and all of that. But calling on the name of the Lord equals salvation, does it not? There. Whether it's salvation from uh, from the destruction, having listened to the Lord. But again, in context here, we also have some additional information. Where else in Acts chapter 2 do we read about salvation? Somebody said it over here. Verse 38. What is said there? Repent. Be baptized. How many of them? Every one of them. And what's going to... What, 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 what's the benefit of that? Remission of sins. Okay. If we have remission of sins, do we have salvation? If our sins are gone, our sins are washed away, they're taken away, yes. So we've got, we've got repentance and baptism equals salvation. Calling on the name of the Lord equals salvation, verse 21. Repentance and baptism equals salvation, verse 38. Do we have any further confirmation in regard to, to the idea of calling on the name of the Lord may be equal to repentance and baptism? What's equal to one thing has to be equal. I don't remember how that exact saying goes, but y'all, y'all took math too. Do we have any other confirmation that calling on the name of the Lord has something to do with repentance, baptism? Acts 22, Acts 22 verse 16, right? What did Ananias say to Saul? In that passage. Why do you want to be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name? Calling, and depending upon which translation you're reading from, calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord. And so we have a direct connection there in the book of uh, Acts chapter 22, just later on in this, in this same book, uh, written by the same writer. 
Okay? And so we've got the idea of calling on the name of the Lord attached to salvation as a whole, not just being saved, if you will, from a destruction that's coming perhaps at, at the, uh, uh, in A.D. 70. Or again, if you take the passage to refer to the end of time, uh, you've got salvation again, either way, being, being discussed, being spoken about there as well. Okay? So, the way that we call on the name of the Lord is not just by our words, but by our actions and by our deeds and by the way that we live. According again to uh, at Matthew seven twenty one, it's by being obedient, the one who does the, the will of the Father. Okay? Let's move on to verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. And then he's going to go on and talk about uh, them crucifying him. But let's break this passage down. Okay? Let's, let's begin. He talks, about, talks to the men of Israel. And he's dealing with them, the men of Israel, because that's where they are. Uh, they're in Jerusalem when this is going on. But then he says, uh, hear these words, give heed to them, listen to them well. And then he uses the phrase, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Okay? Why did he call him Jesus of Nazareth? Very simple, isn't it? He wasn't the only Jesus. Do what? The only person with that name. Yeah. He, he himself, Jesus, or if you take the Old Testament equivalent, Joshua, uh, there were likely hundreds, hundreds, thousands even of men with that name. Uh, do we encounter that in other places in the New Testament? Simon, Simon Peter, Simon the Canaanite, you know. So we've got, we've got those are quite common names. Uh, sometimes you'll go into uh, a Mexican restaurant, and I don't mean this in any bad way, but I'll look up and you'll see a uh, person in charge. And it'll say, Jesus. And I thought, you know, first time I saw that, I said, man, they're being cute. Until I re- realized it's Jesus that's in charge, you know, in the, in the Mexican restaurant. A common name, even in our spell the same way, even in, uh, uh, in the, uh, Mexico and places like that. But he, he identifies where he's from as being the, the Jesus that he's talking about. Now, what's significant about Nazareth? Nazareth is the home place of Jesus' parents, right? If you go uh, to the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, when the angel Gabriel came to, uh, uh, to Mary, where was she? She was in a city of Galilee called Nazareth. When Joseph and Mary went up from Galilee to Bethlehem before the birth of Jesus, when he was born in Bethlehem, where did they come from? According to the book of Luke chapter 2 verse number 4. 
They came from Nazareth. Okay? Nazareth, Nazareth was Jesus' boyhood home, was it not? Uh, in Luke 2, verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned, talking about Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 51. This is after Jesus, 12 years old. Uh, they lost him, found him in the temple. He was talking to the, to the wise men there, to the, to the teachers there. And in verse 51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Again, he's there when he's 12. But then Luke 4, verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Okay? And so he's, he's naturally going to be called Jesus of Nazareth. All right? But that's not, that's not all. Why was it important that they talk about Jesus of Nazareth? Yes, he had to be distinguished. Yes, he grew up there. Somebody read Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. Matthew 2, verse 23. Jesus had to live in Nazareth in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies in regard to him. And so Peter, in, in saying, you know, just identifying him as Jesus of Nazareth, is saying a mouthful. This is, this is the one who even the Old Testament prophets talked about. Joel talks about what's happening on this day, but other Old Testament prophets talk about the fact that he was to be from Nazareth. Now, if you go to the Old Testament and start looking up the word Nazareth, you're going to find that it's not in there. But there are prophecies, Isaiah chapter 53 and others, that deal with the fact that he is not among the, the elite, that he's not something, that Jesus is not something to be um, you know, the, as I was talking about the other night, the physically uh, uh, speaking, all of those things. When somebody said that a person was from Nazareth, what sort of were they saying? That's exactly right. Can any good thing come from Nazareth? What was it? Was it Philip that said that? Or Nathaniel? One of them, Philip or Nathaniel one, I can't remember now which one said it. Nathaniel's the one that said it. But uh, when Philip came to Nathaniel and said, come and see Jesus, uh, talking about him being from Nazareth, can any good thing... What did Nazareth have a reputation as? Being the lowest of the low places you can live. And the Old Testament prophets talked about how Jesus would be a king, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't be like the other kings. He would come out of place, places like that. And so, 
Jesus of Nazareth, you know, you'll, you'll, read, that, you'll read that phrase uh, more times than just this here in the New Testament. But uh, he's speaking about, he, he, he's telling us about this God, this man that God approved before them. Even, even where he's from is proof that he's from God. Okay? So, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God. Now, we don't have time to deal with that tonight. Our time is up. It's 7.10, so it's time for the bell to ring. So, we'll pick up with that next, next time. Uh, it's interesting what he says, uh, how that he is attested to you by God. Uh, uh, depending upon which translation you're reading from, may be approved. Okay? Uh, so, you, as you look at it, you'll see the different words. We'll deal with that next Wednesday night.